Today on the show, Nashville artist Dustin Ransom and I chat about creative nature versus nurture, his time as a childhood Elvis impersonator, his new record Thread on Fire, and so much more on episode 93 of Who Writes This Stuff. And welcome to Who Writes This Stuff. I am a very uh, allergy-laden Nick Flora. Uh, coming to you from my house in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I've, I've talked a little bit of, of it last episode, but I I got just hammered with this crazy throat illness stuff. And now it's just awakened all of these allergies. I've never been an allergic person to, you know, the changing of weather or dogs or cats or food or anything but now i guess uh early 30s is the time when that starts happening your body just starts checking out you know first it's the metabolism uh then it's the brain cells and then uh you know now it's just my immune system essentially i guess oh it's not a fun time not a fun time at all um having allergies but you know the seasons are a changing we are entering fall and uh, I guess it's just something that happens. So my voice I basically sounds stuffy. Uh, you know, I feel okay, though. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to live. I did have to cancel one show. That was mainly due to my illness uh, two weeks ago. But, you know, I spent last weekend in Texas, which normally, uh, you know, that's a state that historically scares me. It's just really big and vast and hot. And uh, the people there are very aggressive in their love for Texas. And that seems to... That scares me as like a, you know, particularly enthusiastic but nerdy at heart person. Anytime anybody gets really loud and aggressive about something, I tend to sort of, you know, hide in the corner and uh, wonder what's wrong with them. But uh, I had a great time. I uh, played in Dallas and uh, in Bernie, which is outside of San Antonio, if you know uh, that area at all. And a really fun time. Thanks to everyone who came out to those shows. Um, I have a few shows coming up. Um... I guess in a few weeks, which I'll talk about on other episodes because, you know, who's going to remember? Oh, well, you might listen to this, you know, in later times, but, you know, I have a, a record coming out, Future Boy, and I have some release shows uh, starting in October for that. So, uh, you know what? I'll tease that. And if you want to go to nickflora.com and look at those dates, you can do so. Uh, today on the show, though, uh, Man, I've wanted to have this guy on for a long time. We've been talking about having him on the podcast for a couple years. It's been pretty sad that uh, it hasn't happened until now. But uh, Dustin Ransom, I know a lot of you probably, he's probably a new name for you, but I guarantee you've heard something that he's worked on in the last 10 years or so. Um, Dustin has spent the the greater part of his uh, musical career as a, a drummer, piano player, guitar, bass. He, he does it all. He legitimately, if you ask anybody in, in Nashville, uh you know, who one of the, one of the, the go-to sort of utility players and producers and, and uh, whether it's a session or live performer, they'll talk about Dustin Ransom because he just has that ability. He's a great dude. We, we uh, met years ago when he uh, went to college here in town um, through some mutual friends and then really got to know each other on a tour we did in, in 2012 um, into, yeah, I think it was 2012 with uh, Andrew Osanga on his Leonard the Lonely Astronaut tour. Um, spent a lot of time together on stage and off and uh, really got to know each other and become good friends. And, um, you know, he's played with Dave Barnes and Ben Rector and Matt Wirtz and uh, worked with Ryan Bingham and Emily West and just the best of the best in town and, and otherwise. And uh, 
and recently in the last few months, he's decided to sort of uh, put himself from the background as playing drums or keys or whoever, uh, whatever for whoever, and and actually you know write and record these songs that he's been working on and had in his back pocket for a while, and uh, you know it's one of those things where you you hope that the thing your friend is doing turns out to be good because what if it's not and you don't want to lie to your friend, but I'm so glad that it. <laughs> so glad that it ended up being great because I don't know why I I would think of it. We talk about it in the episode, why it would be anything but great. Cause he's a great musician and a great dude and he has incredible musical instincts and abilities. So, uh, it makes sense that his music is so good and it really is thread on fire is his EP and, uh, it's, it's available on noise trade for free. If you want to support him, you can grab it on iTunes or Amazon or any of those places. You'll hear a little bit of the, the clips of it in the episode, but, uh, just believe me, it's worth, it's worth a grab and a listen. Seriously. It's just, uh, it's a really great project and, um, you know, we get into some really, uh, sort of deeper subject matter in this episode and, uh, I'm really excited for you to hear, uh, my friend Dustin Ransom. So, uh, if, you know, I think, uh, no matter what your musical taste or what your relationship with the music industry or creative stuff in general is, I think you'll get something out of this episode. So, uh, let's not waste any time. Let's get right into it. Here's my chat with Dustin Ransom. That's the crazy thing about doing a podcast, which you know, because you do a podcast. Oh, yeah. We'll get into it. Hold back. I haven't, I haven't Hang done on. it for a little Shh. bit. <laughs> Be quiet. Shut up. Um, I haven't brought you in yet into oh, that. I, in, I into the, in the. I have topics listed. Oh, I know. I'm sure you do. No, I, I get it. Um, no, but it, it's weird. I've said this before, but like starting this podcast, I started because I listened to podcasts where there were like comedians on and then you talk to musicians and they don't, you know, often emote by speaking their their feelings you know usually they they write and play and sing and right that kind of thing so you get them in front of a mic and they're just like they f- kind of freeze up. oh sure especially like the timbre of whatever their their speaking voices is, isn't always you know like, <laughs> like it's so crazy drew holcomb the loudest singer i've ever heard in my life <laughs> he's he's so soft-spoken and yep. just like right here and yep I was just like, can you lean in? I need you to lean in. <laughs> like, we're all going to lean in like we're telling this microphone a secret. <laughs> yeah. So, um, no, is this a release day? This is a release day for you, right? Are you actually doing this now? Yeah, we're recording. Oh, okay. We're going. Well, I could see it. But... Yeah, we're recording. Um, we're well, doing... it... Are we actually doing this? Well, I was like, maybe he's just getting levels. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. I got it. It takes like five seconds to get levels. That is so sweet. And we just seamlessly go into now, it, Dustin see, Ransom. Now, now that I know we're here... I guess your, you, your record came out today. It came, well, yes, it it came out on all like the normal outlets: iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, the whole deal. But keep listing them. Well, <laughs> audio, <laughs> SoundCloud. I had it up on SoundCloud. Title the beats music. Whoa, title. Yeah, that's bro. a thing. I thought that was like a joke that Jay Z was playing. Well, us. I mean, it's it it automatically went there. I'll <laughs> I'll take I'll take Sean's, <laughs> Sean's you, endorsement. You call him? Oh, okay. Wait, wait. Who's Sean? Puffy. Combs? Are Clark. you tight with, with Puff Daddy? Yeah, that's right. Um, what else is it on? Is it on Pure Volume? It's not on Pure Volume. It is should it on be MP- on mp3.com. MP3. <laughs> <laughs> Was that the first Zanga? one? Zanga. 
<laughs> it's my Zanga ball. It released on Zanga today, guys. Oh my gosh. You know what would be an amazing, and nobody steal this for me because I might do this. An amazing, you know how everybody like, oh, like Brandon Flowers released his record on a tape and stuff like that. It's like the last one? Yeah. Dude, is, I God, which that, I mean, come on, it's awesome. But it it's it and it fits the record because it's a total 80s yep. throwback. I mean, the dude got Richard Marks in on it. Tony Levin and it's Bruce Hornsby. So it's perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah oh, yeah. it's amazing. No, that's what I'm thinking of. Sorry, not Richard Yeah, Bruce Hornsby. Bruce Hornsby. But um, it's so funny. It'd be so funny to do like a throwback uh, promo, promo campaign, but just on like really old social media platforms. <laughs> <laughs> like Angel Fire and stuff like that. Yeah, set up Gosh, a site like man, that. That's... that's like under construction. It's like a gopher with a hammer. <laughs> or a... I could re- I could restart Kaza or something like that. You yeah. Know oh I mean? my gosh! Just release it on Morpheus. Oh my gosh, or- dude! I could, <laughs> LimeWire. I could never get Morpheus to work. I I railed on LimeWire. It, it, it worked for, a while. for like a hot second. Yeah. And then and then I feel like LimeWire came in and just destroyed. Dude, I I mean, let's let's not publicize this, but I mean, I, <laughs> they're I, all gone. I, yeah, no, they're all gone. But I mean, before I knew any better, it was like I was on that thing. Oh all my gosh! The time. It was free music. Dude, that's the thing that a lot of people are sort of, you know, that I'm not necessarily proud of now, but it's one of those things where, you know, when your grandparents are like, yeah, I was smoking cigarettes at 12. I'm like, yeah, but that's awful. But he also didn't, they didn't know it was bad. They were sure. giving them, they made candy cigarettes up oh, until like yeah. a couple of years ago. I mean, ago. dude, you know, there are so many of these strange adverts that, that they're, you know, these little like 30, 45 second vignettes of like, Smoking's gonna do some great things for your lungs yeah. and your lifestyle. Yeah. It's like, no, it's not. It's killing people. Yeah, but they didn't know that forever. <laughs> they had no idea. They're like, we're gonna live forever. And yeah. Like, no, no, it's gonna kill you. Yeah. <laughs> but that's sort of what 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 the the beginnings of all that, you know, Napster and Kazan, and all oh, that stuff, man. all that stuff, like came around, and it was like there weren't a lot of. I mean, we were young enough to where we weren't paying attention to the news. Sure. And like you know. Tom Brokaw or whoever was talking about how like, you know, I, I think I remember Kurt Loder saying something about like, uh, Lars from Metallica was really mad at the Napster guys. And I'm just like, that guy's hilarious. <laughs> but I don't, and I, then I was like, download, download, download. Cause I was just like, you can get all this stuff for free. Like I was a poor kid with a, with a, uh, freaking grocery store job sure all i wanted was like music in my car. Yeah, I mean, and my thing was honestly, I like, most of the stuff that I got off of it were live bootlegs. Me too. I've, yeah. I rarely ever downloaded full-on records because a lot of them I already had. Like the ones that right. I wanted, I just bought. But, you know, I mean, I remember... And just, it was really hard to download was, a full album. It might as well just go to oh, Walmart. Oh, dude, it, I mean, it was, yeah, it was like, it was yeah. like a, a, a commitment at that point to do that. Yeah. So, yeah, but man, that was... God, what was that's, the first, that's nostalgic. Do you remember the first... Uh, like song you ever illegally downloaded? I was talking with the, with, oh with the my guy the other gosh. night. Uh, <laughs> what a question. <laughs> when was the first time you ever did crack in the church pew? Um, <laughs> well, that's a jump. That's a bit of a jump. <laughs> hey, listen. I remember the- mine was, was the boot, talking about bootleg was uh, the first, I guess it was the first time he ever recorded it, but like, Dave Grohl recorded an acoustic version of Everlong. Oh, sure. On like the Howard Stern show or something. Yeah. And, it, and I'm, I just remember a friend of mine's hearing it on something. Maybe it was on Howard Stern. And then we just looked for it everywhere. It's before YouTube or any of that stuff. Right. And I remember finding like an MP3 of it and listening. And it had like the little like download blips in it. Like bloop. 
It's like that, like a 16 bit, 8 bit type yeah. of thing. Yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah. I mean, it, that's like, that's like early audio ripping stuff like oh my, that. I might still have that somewhere on a, on a CDR. <laughs> so, anyway, you have, your record is coming out on. <laughs> Segway. <laughs> there's no, there's no form. No, to listen, this dude. At all. I, I, I do the same on mine. Yeah. It's great. What, so, I have a question about this record because I've known you for years as just the guy who plays on people's records plays live does a bunch of the stuff what how long have you been wanting to do like your own thing with like your name on it yeah because because forever you were just like one of the best if not the best like you like utility dudes i called us and ransom if he's available he'll you know it'll be great if you show up because you you play everything and you've literally like shown up 48 hours before one of my shows and freaking crushed it. So, so like, what are you not happy just being? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, what's broken inside of you? Yeah, Justin? I know. No, but what, what, where did this sort of idea come from? Man, you know, it's honestly, it's always sort of been there for real. Really? It always has been. And I think. To be to be completely frank, I think I was just terrified of doing it. Really, I think. Well, it's putting your, literally putting yourself out. Yeah, there. Yeah. Well, and you know, I mean, to give like a a very abridged version. I mean, I've been writing songs since I was eight. I mean, I was I was a childhood Elvis impersonator. And whoa, like, whoa, 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 whoa! Oh yeah, I thought you knew about this. I might have known about this, but. What? <laughs> oh yeah. Okay, so here's the here's the deal. So my my dad was and is a huge Elvis Presley fan. Uh-huh. And I am too, kind of because it got passed down to me. And so I, I you know, I just I loved I loved just the I don't know, the full-on experience of somebody being able to command an audience like oh, that. Amazing, it didn't yeah. it didn't really matter who it was, but that was just my first exposure to like a solo artist who you know, was I mean not just an artist but like literally a cultural icon even to this day and i just kind of remember thinking man it like that is so cool and it was funny too because i would watch these videos of him performing in the 70s and his band was unreal and that was actually the way i even got interested in playing drums there's a guy who lives in town i believe who now plays for neil diamond who was elvis's drummer his name was ron tutt and Ron was a monster. It was like a metal drummer playing with Elvis. Double kick drums. Really? Like eight toms, the whole deal. And oh, here. And, I uh, and so it, it was kind of like this, this, I don't know. It was like worlds collided for me in that, where it was like I wanted to be this really great musician. Well, I guess subconsciously, because I was watching those videos when I was like two. And so, you know. My my mom, this will go somewhere. I promise. Yeah, this no, all you're makes fine. sense. We're good. So, I played a lot of Nintendo when I was a kid, like a lot. I mean, I'm talking like I I literally my my local news station had a contest for who could get through Super Mario Brothers three the fastest, and I came in fourth place when I was three. What seriously? Are you serious? I am dead serious. I won this like little video game chair. For it, you know, I mean, I'm talking like fourth place out of probably a room full of fifty kids. Whoa! So, I just I had a lot of coordination, and my mom, you know, my mom had always wanted to take piano lessons when she was a kid, but for you know whatever circumstances she didn't get to, and so I think in many ways it was sort of like, well, you know, he has all this coordination, so let's 
let's just try it and see what happens. And I mean, and I was, I, I think deep down I was hooked. I really didn't get hooked until later when I started figuring out songs of my own. But all that being said, going back to the performing thing and doing my own thing. So when I, I when my mom, you know, started at my request making these Elvis jumpsuits for me because <laughs> I wanted to do it. I mean, it was like, I mean, even at that age, it was a rush, like getting up in front of people. And I mean, I was lip syncing, but sure. to these recordings. And it was just sort of like, man, there's this, it's, I mean, you know, you're an artist and it's like, there, there's a rush of, even if it's not necessarily your song, it's still just cool to kind of like you, you have all eyes are on you. Yeah. I mean, it's all eyes are on you. And you're also, you're also trying to, I, I guess like permeate the audience with the same emotion that you feel. So, I mean, it's just, so it's like a collective thing. Mm -hmm. And so that I've always loved that, man. I, I think it's why I get, I get very, very attached to artists just in general where I'll, I literally buy their entire discography to see kind of like what the, what the musical and lyrical and compositional, but also the emotional arc looks like. And like, just, I, I guess sort of, I guess sort of allowing myself to learn from what one person is capable of or what one artist is capable of and just see like, wow, I didn't realize that so-and-so could do this. Yeah. And so when it comes to me being an artist, you know, over the past, like I said, I've been writing songs since I was eight. I mean, I, but the funny thing was, is like, even at that point, I wanted to do it and I was singing and playing instruments and stuff like that, but I, I was afraid to like actually write serious songs, even how serious, whatever that meant when I was eight. But, you know, when I would try to, it always kind of be embarrassed. And so I think yeah. in many ways I covered it up because I would try and I would do like Weird Al parodies of Beatles songs or <laughs> serious, or I would write just dumb songs that sounded like really like bad versions of stuff you hear on the Dr. Demento show. Right. And, it you know it's always That's not been as there. exposing though as you know absolutely so absolutely it, it's still being creative enough. I just think I hadn't really I hadn't really figured out in a lot of ways how to express myself in a public forum, except just instrumentally speaking, yeah. getting that stuff out. And so when I got into high school, I finally just kind of said, "Screw it, I'm going to do this." And I started singing, I started writing, and you know, I at that point I could I could play all the stuff that I can now and you know just kind of went for it if my world was over and if my time had come there may be nobody to love me when I'm moving on that's why said this before but especially with producing which was kind of like the step into this i love doing it but i kind of got tired of giving away all my good ideas oh, and yeah. i was like i can't man i, I need to pff, 
I need to make sure that I'm not letting go of stuff that is like, I'm not, and I don't mean this in like some sort of weird, arrogant way, but like, I don't want to give away all this stuff creatively that I know is very meaningful to me to where it's like, well, crap, I can't really use that now because I gave it to so-and-so's record. And so, you know, when you combine that with the, the challenge was in doing the artist thing, considering I'd had just such a wide range of experiences musically and, you know, was trained when I was in college to be able to play pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. When that comes down to tr- trying to figure out how to be a cohesive artist with a cohesive sound, it, it was challenging because I've spent so much of, so much of my life kind of like emulating artists like really trying to get inside their minds like learning i mean literally man i would sit down and just learn like the exact parts that every beetle played on every record just because i wanted to know like how they did it and what they did and i could grow as a musician and what have you or i mean amazing schooling i mean i spent years in my basement learning every literally every song on every police record on bass <laughs> drums guitar yeah everything because i just loved it well that's what makes you such a good utility player is because you have all these sort of references logged away in your mind and yeah. so whatever the artist needs you can service that by being like oh yeah i know i know how to do this because you know it's whatever Stuart copeland would do or it's whatever you know whatever sure. you, you can sort of <clears throat> figure that out yeah you know yeah yeah but how do you figure out what what your music sounds like it Honestly, it came through years, probably 10 years worth, now that I think about it, of writing songs to the point of where I I said, I'm going to have to get over my insecurities and just go for the stuff that I love. Because I can't, I can't sensibly put every influence into like one song, yeah. but I can spread them out to where there may be more of a police influence in one and an Al Green thing in another and then an Iron and Wine thing in another and so on and so forth. But I, I think, you know, I look at artists like the Beatles. Dude, the White Album would be an A&R nightmare for people. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. It's like there, you know, there are 20s, 20s era flapper ballads on there. There are country songs. There's Helter Skelter. There's a song about monkeys having sex in the road. <laughs> I'm, I mean, it's just, and you know, there's a song about, yeah. you know, a, a, like a jungle gym character, Bungalow Bill, like, but it's, it's them. Like it's absolutely them, unequivocally them, everything. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it is completely feasible for people to do that, regardless of what the industry looks like now. And regardless of what box you want to be put in, it's like, I mean, dude, I don't know. It's like, He's 73 years old and Paul McCartney is still selling out enormous stadiums. Yeah. It's like people still resonate with somebody who's very multifaceted. Mm-hmm. I think, I think why not continue that? You know, why not? I mean, I don't know. I, I think as, as much experience as I've had with artists who, you know, have really, and I, I mean, this is across the board. We all have our insecurities, but sure. I've been on the receiving end of a lot of artists' insecurities where they, you know, they really didn't know what their sound was, but they felt kind of stuck in a rock and a hard place because it was, um, you know, I can't really, ex- they, may, they may have just not had the tools to express themselves, yeah. the resources to do so. And so I was like, well, man, I do. 
and I'm going to figure this out. So that's a very, yeah. that's a no, long, no, it's a great answer, answer because, <clears throat> and that makes sense because you really did paint yourself into a corner as far as all the reasons to say no. You opened so many doors for yourself I, as far as like, well, I can't do that. Like you literally, you learned all the instruments you, you've taught yourself, you know, production, all this stuff. You've written songs. You're really, there's really nothing. Like there are so many things that I want to do that I'm like, well, I've never done that before. So I don't know how to do it. But you know, over time, if I would have just taught myself, it's almost like I purposely don't teach myself certain things where I'm like, well, I, so I can use that excuse. But you, you ran out of excuses. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't the know. only door left for you creatively was to like, yeah, I something. mean to do this. And I, I feel like I've finally, I finally like sunk my feet into the ground on something that feels like everything is finally coalesced into yeah. something that makes sense. All those skills. I thought it was producing for a while, but the thing was, is that it was still, it was still subservient to somebody. There's nothing wrong with that at all, but no, it's fun to help people sort of realize. Of their... course. No, it's, it's super fun. And it's great to see their reactions when you really put the time into it and what mm. have you. But man, I was like, and this could really be in any creative endeavor, but you know, if you're constantly serving other people and especially as a musician, especially or a side musician, not allowing yourself to have that sort of that little freak show side project you have where you just get your yayas out. <laughs> it's like you will go insane. You yeah. cannot look to you cannot look to sessions and touring and all that stuff to fulfill your creative needs. You, you may not even realize that at that point. And for me, it's not like I don't have that freak show side project. That thing is my artist career, which I'm hitting hard and heavy right now. And everything else that we've talked about is sort of the foundation for that. Yeah. So, um, is that, yeah. that's sort of what I talked to when Josh Graham and David came in from realms. Yeah. And, uh, we talked a lot about that because, you know, I don't, I didn't know David as well. I know, you know, him really well, uh -huh. <clears throat> but, uh, I just knew Josh and Graham and I just knew him as like side guys. So I, I was like, this is kind of awesome. And it makes perfect sense that they would make this record, which is great. Right. And like, you know, I don't know why I thought it would be anything else. And the same thing with your, yours. I was like, I would, anything that doesn't ransom was going to put out. Like part of me expected to like, when you sent it to me to, to like click it and it just to be like, you know, you doing a bunch of voices or something <laughs> because it seems like which, something you would just be like, there's the, here's yeah. sincerely something that I like, Take it, give a listen to this, like, you know, set it up very sincerely. And then when you click on it, it's a giant, like elaborately <laughs> well-produced joke. Um, <laughs> but it's totally not. It's like, you're, it's really great. And, and like, I'm not surprised that it's great. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> Dustin has a, a killer voice. And like, you. you could totally do like, you could go out there and, and like slay like a Stevie wonder song or like an Al Green song or these, like, cause you, for a guy that grew up in Southern Indiana, you have an inordinate amount of soul. <laughs> well, thanks. It's good. To, it's good to put hear. that quote on the CD. Yeah, I'll tell you, in Ernman, amount of soul.
could do these voices because oh, dude, you have you have an insane talent for them. It it's always been there. Honest to goodness, it really has. I I honestly, <laughs> I remember. I think I know what the, what the turning point was. I remember watching Aladdin. Yeah. And going, who in the world is doing the genie? Yeah. And I remember, I, I was going. I was gosh six. Yeah. My mom was about to take me somewhere, maybe to I don't know, piano lessons or whatever. And we had just, I just finished watching Aladdin, and I was like, hold on, I want to see who did the genie's voice. And it was Robin Williams, and I was like, I was done, and that was it. Yeah. And I think I, I just, I loved, I, I loved the non sequitur aspect of that stuff too, because it, it kind of leaves you hanging on the edge of your seat, like, what is he going to say next? I know. But I think also, you know, so much of what he did, and man. Rest in peace, Robin. Oh, Seriously. He actually filmed the last film he ever did right down the I, street from us. Are you serious? Boulevard. Yeah. I ran into him. Really? Yeah. I saw him very briefly. And then, you know, I think a lot of people in town did at, at a musician's corner. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I think and, I saw you there, too. I, that was a musician's really? corner. Really? Oh, man. With you. Should've. So, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so, you know, he he was such a huge influence in terms of like that manic creativity that there's just this well of stuff. And honestly, you only, f there are those few brilliant moments where you kind of feel like he's given you that, that really deep well of it, mm. but it flies by so fast that you don't really, you don't get the depth of that until after it's finished. You know, he doesn't really give you time to latch onto it. And so with the voices stuff, it was always like, you know, with him, you hear him talk about how, you know, Jonathan Winters and, and mm -hmm. people like that were huge influences on him who were amazing at doing yeah. voices. And I think for me, it you know, in a similar way as what I've heard Robin Williams discuss in interviews, it's kind of like, it's almost like uh, it's therapeutic. It's a way for me to kind of work out some of the strange, you know, idiosyncrasies that I grew up around right. and whatever. And you know, I mean, it's it's kind of like a truth is stranger than fiction thing, it, because there's just things that people say that I mean, it literally sounds like a caricature of yeah. What? Oh my god! I mean, what you would see in a movie or something. That's why when you because you did those stream, my favorite thing in the world, those string of Instagram videos. Oh yeah, which I hope they're still on your Instagram. If people want to go check them out, but they're they're genuinely like. I remember being on tour with Eric Peters at the time, and we couldn't stop watching them because and that I I it's it's sincerely. Like in the last 10 years, I'll say the last five years, like top two times I've laughed the hardest, right? I, I, I had to like, <laughs> I had to like take a walk, you know, just, I was like, I can't be like, I would, it was, it's insane. And like, I've gone back and I'll just literally legitimately just be at Kroger or something and think about it. And want a few of the voices because, you know, Instagram video, they're very short, but like you just have this way and it is, it's totally like. I know this person like right. I've, you know, and I get the most tickled by the oddly specific. Absolutely. Nothing makes me laugh harder than, yep. and I don't even need the reference for it. Nope. It's better if I don't, I, I love, so if you, you know, so if somebody does like a celebrity impression, you know, and, and it's accurate. I'm like, Oh, oh, that's cool. Right. But if somebody like, like Will uh, Farrell does like George Bush or something, which is like a big one, but like right. somebody just la like they grasp onto one aspect of that person and runs with it. Nothing makes me laugh harder. And like, yeah, there'll be times when I just see the frozen screen 
and I don't even know what you're about to do, but I just laughed just at the anticipation of it. No, but it is, it is amazing. And like, I know other people have jumped on it too. Dave Barnes talked about it, but it's, it is, it's an insane talent. And I was Thank like, you. where does this, you could totally have this other career as this like voice actor. Honest. Well, I, I, that's kind of been like another dream in the back of my mind that you I just totally love to do. do. I've done a little bit of it, but, um, you know, the, <laughs> Man, it's just, it really does become something that it is therapeutic after a while. And yeah, it's just, it's really funny to get that. I mean, if you, if somebody put a hidden like video camera in my video camera, <laughs> a video, a camera, a camcorder in my car, uh, I mean, it's like it never stops. It really does. I mean, it, yeah. it usually, more than one of those. Or James Brown. Yeah. Oh yeah, the, the ah! all that stuff. Um, no, I used to do that stuff on the road all the time, just to like, and we did it a lot. We we, I mean, when we were on tour with Andy, Andy. with that Leonard tour, there, which is what I love so much about being on the road with other guys, which I usually just go by myself. But like, you do you almost as a survival instinct, and like you said, getting just sort of you're stuck in this confined space for so long. Right eating terrible food and just, <laughs> just go, you sort of start going crazy slightly. And, and I love the stuff that comes out of that because right. you, you need a release. Oh, you, sure. You go insane. It, it, yeah. And I, it's, it's in many ways, it's sort of a, it is a way to like exercise that insanity because the, I, I, I totally agree with you about the specifics. Yeah. Well, you know, I wonder yeah. if you, if you had grown up in any other place, if, if, you know, I think about nature versus nurture all the time, but I also think about sort of, what a you know take a hyper creative person and put them in any atmosphere mm -hmm. raise them in that and see sort of what they become it's right. it's it's a, such a huge bummer that we only get one life because i would love to be like okay now i want to see what would happen if i was born here right raised you know by this person or whatever it is uh because that kind of thing fascinates me especially you know that people you hear the thing of like you know somebody that grew up really poor and and you know we i'm sure we have we know people like this i guarantee it they grow up super poor and they don't think to themselves like you know what i'm getting out of here and they right. do whatever they can they get out and then they do and then they're like you know you you hear about their modest upbringings and you're like really you're really successful oh and sure. then the opposite where they're like eh, this is fine you know they, they grow <laughs> up they grow up there and then they just end up working at yeah you know the mechanics their whole life and doing meth Right. So it's just like, oh it's making, <laughs> making, but it really is sort of this. And every time I go home, I run into these people and I'm just like, what, why, what, what, you know? I, man. So I, I think, I wonder where, if you put you in a different situation, you you know, this is, I'm already bailing on this question. I'm like, no, who cares? No, no, no. I, I actually, I think is a great, a great question. I, I think it's just I, an observation. I, I think about, like, no, I, I think for me and, I think you may have mentioned something about this earlier when it came to the voices, but it's almost like a, it's a survival instinct. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I grew up in this little town in Southern Indiana, right on the border of Kentucky on the Ohio river where, you know, it was 6,000, 7,000 people at that time. And I mean, it's, you know, it's football and baseball and basketball and that's what you do. And so, you know, for a kid like me who was intrinsically placed around creativity because of what my parents exposed me to, my parents aren't really musicians, but, you know, what they exposed me to and what I was interested in, it was kind of like, I I really didn't have a choice. It was really all I could do really well. And I mean, you know, I was 
thankful to have other skills that came along, but it, there was so much of a herd mentality in mm. a lot of ways in that. And, I, and I'm not trying to d- dog my hometown by any means, but you know, I would, I would go to college and hear these stories. I would be at college. Sorry. It's like I went in and out. <laughs> uh, I was at college and you know, I would occasionally visit my parents and then I would see these people that had graduated, you know, X amount of years before that from high school. And it's like, these guys are coming home from college, going to high school football games, wearing the letter jackets they had when they were playing on the team. Yeah. I'm like, guys, you got to get out of this. You got to do something with yourself. You know, and I don't know, maybe they're happy. I can't judge. I know, maybe the, the older I get, the more I'm like a little bit more gracious for that. But there is sort of, to me, because my experience in high school was, oh, this place is terrible and I have to get out of here. Yeah. I did not fit at all. Yep. For the same reasons that you listed off. I wasn't into sports and when we were in school, sports was king. Oh, absolutely. It still is in a lot of ways, but I feel like the, the creative lifestyle was a little bit more, I don't know, mainstream, I guess. People sure. understand a little bit more because of the internet. Right. But man, like I was just like, oh, well, this is clearly just a starting block and I got to get out of here. But like a lot of people were like, it was the it genuinely was the best days of their life. And we're, you're always trying to recapture that. I guess. Yeah. I, and so, yeah, I mean, and for me, it was like, I had, there, I have reached the pinnacle of what I'm capable of here. I don't, and again, I don't mean that arrogantly. It's just kind of like, that's all, there's only so many opportunities that you can, right. I mean, I, I got, I remember I, I got an opportunity. I had, I, I won the, I believe like the biggest scholarship, for a music for music school for a music school near where I grew up about 30 minutes from where I grew up mm-hmm. and <clears throat> excuse me the uh the the professor over percussion there who I was uh, I was friends with you know straight up told me he was like man you could teach this program at this point you don't need to be here i don't care wow. how much money they throw at you you don't need to be here go go somewhere where you're going to flourish and you know through just Honestly, one guy, this mentor of mine, told me about Belmont, and I looked into it, and lo and behold, at the time, Chester Thompson was teaching drums, and I was a huge fan of Chester's playing with Weather Report. I was like, well, let's do it. So I went, and man, it's, I mean, it was the best decision I've made in terms of just going for something and and doing something, taking a chance, and I've said this before but i think because of the like the sheer desire for almost a type of escapism where i grew up to just immerse myself in every type of genre and music i could and you know i should also say too that you know i took piano lessons for almost 20 years and i you know, I have my degree from Belmont in drum set and I'd played drums for pretty much my whole life. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I came in green to Nashville when I feel like that was 2005 was when I moved here. It was kind of like the, the, uh, like the burbling, so to speak of people having to wear a zillion hats yeah. to survive. And for me, it was just like, well, this is what I do all the time. I, it's not like something yeah, I made a conscious normal. decision to do. And so, um, you know, the going back to the the what you were saying about just where you what you would what you could have become if you'd grown some up somewhere else. I honestly feel like if I had grown up in a much more creative community, such as Portland or Seattle or L.A. or New York or what have you, I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing because 
everybody's doing that and there wouldn't be such a drive. Yeah, that's it. true. And so when I came here, you know, there were a lot of people, I mean, I had really great friends of mine that like couldn't read actual like piano music. They mm -hmm. could only read like drum set notation or whatever. And I was like, I'm doing this for 20 years at this point or 18 <laughs> or whatever. People's problems. Well, no, no, I mean, no, it wasn't like that, but it's sort of like, well, gosh, this is easy. You know, yeah. I'm so used to that. And so I've, I'm very fortunate that my parents realized enough of that potential early on That's huge. and to keep at that, you know, and to support that as I, as I went along to where I was like, well, this is, I'm already about five or six steps ahead and I just got to keep pushing through it. And so I think me growing up where I did out of just the, the sheer desperation mm -hmm. to not be around, you know, these, I mean, pardon my French, but these asshole jocks that, oh, absolutely. you know, didn't really care about you and would pick on you and all this stuff. And now it's like, these are the guys that are reaching out to me on Facebook or social media now after my record come out. How do you know what it feels like, honey? Do you have the eyes to see? I don't want what you give me, baby. If talk is cheap, then your words are free. There was a time when you saw me, honey, hanging by a thread on fire. I never said I didn't need you, but what good is love with a bad desire? Everybody is given opportunity and it just its exactly what you said. Like you can either sell yourself short and be like, well, that's not going to be me. And then that's the story that you tell yourself. Exactly. Or you can be like, why not me? Exactly. And then you just, it's all about like, you're not, I mean, you, you do have, everybody has their own specific talent that they're born with. And if they nurture and grow and work on, they can get better with. But like, who's to say that like, you know, you being born with this ability and then really honing in and, and doing the work, you know, as much, you know, somebody else could also be born with just a little bit less of ability, but also work really, you know, even harder than you. And you guys can be at the same level. You know what I mean? There's yeah. no sort of like magic, like, well, he was clearly gifted and I'm not like, it, no, if you have it, you can nurture it and grow it. Yeah. And opportunity is there. Yeah, absolutely. It's just however you hone it. And I, th and I think, you know, you mentioned the nature versus nurture aspect of things. I mean, I feel like the, the environment I grew up in was not very, I don't mean like my parents. I mean, the town that I grew up in was not very nurturing in a lot of ways for just people's talents in general, just because... I mean, like I said, you know, there there was there was a certain threshold of opportunity that could be met mm. in that environment, and and I think people knew it. My parents knew it. You know, it was like there's not there's not going to be anything for you here. You need to go somewhere else. And so, what I think is sad is that I don't know if 
I, I don't know if there were the people or I don't know if it was that there wasn't enough people or uh, time or investment or whatever to actually speak into those kids. And I mean, I'm talking like a lot of kids who were kind of on the fringes that in many ways could be really brilliant people yeah. just because of how how their minds worked, how they held themselves and whatever. But <clears throat> oftentimes they were disciplined almost to a, I mean, to an extreme because they were a little bit wild and nobody knew what to do with them, you know? And these were the kids that, <clears throat> gosh, excuse me, they would end up, you know, getting into drugs and yeah. doing stuff like that. Because again, it was like, well, there's, I have to escape from this. What am I yeah. going to do? And nobody's presenting me with opportunities and I don't want to be X, Y, Z. Right. I, it's sad. You know, it's, it's sad to me that I have, that I know people that I feel like have so much more potential to do really great things that because of the environment or yeah, or the self-talk or what have you, it's like, well, no, I can't do that. I think about it all the time. Like looking back, like my, my, like just because I was, I was raised in a small town and not only just that, but my parents lived off <laughs> into the country a little bit, you know, that we didn't live in the city limits and I didn't drive until I was almost 17. Yeah. That's if they had tossed me the keys right on my 16th birthday, I wouldn't have touched a guitar because yeah. I didn't have anything to do. <clears throat> and I found a guitar literally around that time in my dad's attic and, or I guess it was our attic, but like I just, my dad's guitar that he just had. Yeah. He didn't play, but it was just up there. Right. And that's, that changed everything because I didn't have anything else to do. I was bored. Totally. There was no internet. So I just started playing. And then before I knew it, like, cause I wanted to be a, a comedian. That's all I wanted to be <laughs> yeah. forever. So I was like, well, I'll just be like a musical comedian, you know? Cause I've seen those on, you know, Steve Martin and, and Adam Sandler and oh, these guys yeah. get on SNL and I'm like, that's brilliant. Right. I could do that. So if it wasn't for that, like if, you know, for just being sort of a bored small town kid, who know? I mean, who's to say, but my, my specific story wouldn't have happened. And I'm so glad it did because I had hours. I had, my, my dad tells these stories of like, I just six hours a day. I just, I would just learn every right, song yeah. that I heard. I would just hear a song on the radio and I had three and a half minutes to figure out how, how to exactly. Play. And that was such like a gift in a, like, you know, it was frustrating for me at the time and it was fun, but it, I, I'm so glad that I had those moments and, you know, that quote unquote boredom. Oh, I, I mean, I don't know if it was while I was in high school or maybe actually, no, it was, it was after I graduated and moved to Nashville. I remember asking her one time, like, how come you guys weren't, you know, how come you didn't really push me to get a job? Like just working a high school job when I was there. And she was like, well, because I knew you were extremely gifted and I wanted you to be at home so you could have time to expound upon that gift. I was like, Whoa. all right. Great. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it's it's like I I I think about that stuff now like knowing the amount of time that I have after all these years of working super hard as, you know, like again, session musician, all that stuff. Yeah. To where that is a foundation for me in terms of both, you know, the creative palette I have and the community I have and also just I mean financially too. And so, you know, having having the, I don't know, I guess for my parents, like having, I mean, it was a risk to do that. Like he could, fly, he could throw this away, but Huge, I, yeah. they didn't, they didn't believe that. They believed that he's going to do something really amazing with this. And they were like, just go down there and do it. Just I like do the it. parents that see that. Like my, my parents are that way too. And they also sort of saw that like your twenties are kind of when you, you have a time to 
not screw up necessarily, but go take chances. Right. You know, it, it's not like a, unless you're just getting in trouble with the law, it's, you're not going to do anything <laughs> that's, you know, going to completely ruin your entire life. You, you can bounce back so quick too, right. which is why I'm so glad that I started going out on the road by myself and like learning how all that worked when I was like 20. Yeah. Because I was just like, there was no matter what happened, there was this overall sense of like, I'm doing it, right. you know? And like it, what an idiot I was. Cause like I, I literally, <laughs> I spent like a thousand to two grand a year just to like going on the road. Cause I was just losing money left and right. I didn't know how anything worked, but it was such like, it was, it was but I would have put that money towards school or towards some kind of trade school at least. So like that was just learning how everything worked. My parents had enough foresight to be like, yeah, go ahead and try it. Oh, and sure. See, and and it really is, and especially when you're pursuing something like that, it's very sink or swim. Like you're going to figure it out real quick what not to do. Absolutely. You know, and, and then also like, oh, well, that kind of worked. What if I did that the, for the, the first time next time instead of, you know, what if I asked for money on the front end? Right. Instead of get there and be like, okay, can Please. I? <laughs> I need it. Please. But I need it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, and I may have, I may have kind of alluded to this earlier, but I, I mean, you're totally right. I think for me in the position that I've, I've again, I've been very fortunate to be in having played with so many artists or work with so many artists and producers and engineers that, I mean, they run the gamut on the, the front line, so to speak of what to do and what not to do in all of those situations. It feels like it's absolutely paramount to never, to never sacrifice those opportunities to pull something from some experience where whatever it ends up becoming, it's something that's valuable. There's a Daniel and quote that I love that was in uh, his book, Soul Mining, which is amazing. I'm kind of paraphrasing, but basically he says that I will pursue a particular skill so far, like as much as I can, or as, as much energy as I can give to it, not really knowing what the practical application is, but just trusting that one day it's actually going to mean something and then mm. I can use it for something. <laughs> I mean, it's like story yeah. of my life. Yeah. You know, I, there are things that I was fooling around with when I was 15, 16, as far as record, I mean, younger than that. You know, I was doing like multi-track recording with like multiple tape recorders when yeah, I was I did seven or eight. You know, it's yeah, so fun. Yeah. But it's like I, you know, I learned, I learned early on what that meant as far as like noise floor and you know tape saturation and stuff like that. Whereas if I had tried to learn that when I was in college, it was sort of like well, I don't really care about this. Yeah. But I loved it from such a young age, and so being able to take all those experiences, whether that's something you just kind of discovered by accident or, I mean, I think more importantly, watching people do it the right way or the wrong way going, yeah, this is, this is, this is what I need to implement. My whole point of that is that I, there has to be some sort of greater investment beyond with artists beyond just saying, well, I just play guitar and I really, I write really nice songs and I guess somebody else is going to do all this work for me. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. It does not work. Unless, I mean, pfft, dude, even somebody like Taylor Swift, I mean, I know a decent amount of the guys who played on her earlier records, Fearless and Red and all that stuff. They have all said, man, she she like knows what she wants. She makes intentional decisions. She's a great hang. 
And we have a blast hanging out with her because it's nice to have somebody who actually has direction for you. Yeah. They like she is in complete control in the best way of her destiny as an artist. She cl- so clearly knows what she's doing. And that's brilliant. And that's what I'm getting at yeah. is that she knows what she's doing and she's known for a long time what she yeah. has to do. I've heard the same thing about Katy Perry too. Like she, uh, totally. She just like, dude, is that, that documentary is amazing. It's amazing. amazing I tell everybody to watch that documentary because if anything it shows, I love that it shows, Oh, you think, you know what it takes to be, you know, or my road to getting here. Right. You know, like how many records did she write that never came out? Like, it's amazing. Same thing with like, I saw a documentary uh, on Hanson. Yeah. Where they made like four records in a year and the label was just like, nope, there's not a, there's not a mbop on here. Get it out of here. Like they just kept and they, and so they finally were just like, see a label. We're going to do whatever we want. Yeah. And those guys are so creative and so hardworking to this day. Right. Have the most devoted fan base I've ever encountered. Everybody that I know that's that's doing uh, music or whatever full time is trying to get on tour with them because their yeah. fan base is so hardcore. Yeah. So it's just funny to me that like there's a I, the, the through line through all those people is there is a vision, there's ambition, right. there's drive. They take everything that they're doing very seriously. Right. And I think that is very. I, I had this conversation fairly recently with with a a, a guy I know who's like asking me sort of like, how do I do what you do? You know? And, that, and thankfully I just take all that as a compliment. I get, I get those messages from time to time and I'm like, Oh, of course I don't really know what to tell you because everybody's different, but I can tell right. you the, the sort of big picture things is like almost like undressed naked metaphorically in front of the mirror and be like, what are my strengths? Right. You know, yep. I got great calves <laughs> you know? or whatever it is. Find it, like find out what it is you want to do and then where, where your strengths are and like and all these things like that. And, and that, a lot of the, this podcast has been sort of, that kind of stuff. Cause I know a lot of people listen to this who are like, I don't know what to do. And right. we tend to overthink it when it is sort of stripped down. And, and you know, and a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with like, well, I know where I am and I know where I, I want to be. Mm-hmm. So let's connect the dots, right. you know? And, right. the, and that's what, what it was with me were being overweight where I was just like, man, I just got, why am I just tired all the time and sad? And I'm 24. Like this is totally. supposed to be, Oh, maybe it's because you eat 5,000 calories of Sonic every day <laughs> <laughs> and you just sit at home watching, you know, Kevin Smith movies. There might be like a correlation. correlation. <laughs> and so I just did the opposite of that. It's sort of George Costanza. Like what's the opposite of the destructive things I'm doing right, or whatever. Right. So I think that's, that's a huge, I think a lot of people need to hear that. Yeah. Um, here I have, uh, I have questions I need to ask you. I can oh, talk please. to you freaking forever. Oh, so uh, I was in the podcast with a, uh, a sort of lightning round of sorts. So these are let's lighten the mood. Yeah, uh, please. By uh, these are all non sequitur, yes. uh, Robin Williams style. Oh. So what do you say during sound check? Like mic testing? Yeah, I usually just sing. I'll sing a song. What do you or... sing though? You have a go to? Uh, I'll you make something up. I'll make something up. Sometimes I'll sing. Uh, um, a song for you by Leon Russell. I'll oh, sing yeah. the Donny Hathaway version of it. Yeah, because yeah. it's it's very dynamic. It has a lot of soul in it. It's oh, so you sim- like thought about like what? It oh, does. yeah, yeah. I mean, I I memorized that performance, and so it's it's just a good like dynamic thing. I've heard do. the same thing for uh, Bohemian Rhapsody is supposedly like the most dynamic pop song ever written. So if you want to <laughs> test out a mic, I'm like, I oh, mean, yeah, go for it. Honest to goodness. <laughs> Yeah, just you know, sing Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, if no not problem. the one of the most dynamic. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, 
What do you associate with the name Keith? I just, I just thought Richards. Uh, then I, the second one was Moon. You didn't grow up with a Keith. I don't. Is there a Keith in your school? There was a my 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 elementary school principal was named Keith. 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 Shout out Keith. Um, he had a toupee. My my favorite is when people like I've had two people say that they're who grew up in the late '80s, early '90s, who said their youth pastor was named Keith, and I'm like, Keith is the perfect youth, youth like '90s youth pastor name. Like, Joel. Yeah, <laughs> I had a Joel. Yeah. I had a Jason. I had a Joel and a Justin. I had a Dave and a Jeremy. Jeremy. Yeah. Backing into parking spots, convenient yeah. or annoying? Uh, in like like a parallel parking lot where there's spaces, or are you talking about parallel parking? No, just like we like you see a parking spot yeah. at a Target. Yep. And instead, of, you go past it and then back into it. When people do that, do you find that? But are you like, oh, they're smart. They're going to get out of here faster. Or do you think, you giant idiot, you're <laughs> wasting everybody's time? I usually think about it, they're going to get out of there quicker. Because that's what I oh. think when I do it. I'm like, well, this is easy. It, gra- it, it greatly annoys me. Does it? Because I'm just like, it's the same amount of time. It's the same amount of time. Well, I will say that if I, if I see that, and if there's a spot that I missed, I usually just do a loop and find something else. Right. I don't, I don't back into the spot because I, I feel like I might. It's the same amount of time to me. Yeah. Well, and I may be blocking somebody behind me and that, that gets me aggravated because oh I'm like, not because, of, not because of them. It's like, oh crap. I don't, no. I don't want to be that guy. I know. You know. Well, at least you're not a total monster. <laughs> uh, just because you answered differently from me. What movie or TV show do you quote most frequently in your everyday life? Oh, probably Dumb and Dumber. Really? Yep. That's a good one. Yep. I feel like that's a very universal that you can work that into anything. It, absolutely. Yeah. And it's one of those that like I quote and I don't realize that I'm doing it. And I'm like, where is that from? Why <laughs> yeah. do I say that? And I was quoting that movie before I saw it because all my friends were. So oh, it's just like, sure. I don't know what this means. I'm running at an incredible rate. rate I don't of, know. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever. So, yeah. Uh, what is your first? No, no. Here, before we get to that, what's the most trouble you got in as a kid? Oh man. Uh This is my favorite one right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um I remember <laughs> this is awful. There there may be worse, but I, I mean besides like getting in your first wreck. Right. But I remember I I like belched in my mom's face in a cracker barrel <laughs> and she grounded me for a month what was the thought process it was just that? i was just like <coughs> dude i was it i mean i was just a strange like I, I there was a point where in my life and maybe this is still true i just kind of had like no uh <laughs> there was just like nothing was sacred like i'd be yeah. in my piano lessons with my teacher and i have i would just like let the loudest farts <laughs> In front of her. It was I mean, it's just like I think back about it now and I'm like, what in the world? Like nobody thinks this is funny. No. Nobody does. Yeah. E- except me. And I don't know. When I was a kid, that was my favorite kind of humor though. Like the Andy Kaufman. Oh, the like the stuff that was just so absurd. Absolutely. Nothing made me laugh harder. Dude, I mean my my piano teacher, who was awesome. Hi Terry. How you doing? Hey Terry. She she was a huge, huge Monty Python fan. And when it was in syndication on Comedy Central, she yeah. taped every episode on VHS and gave them all to me. What an awesome teacher. And I just sat around for weeks, and I should preface that I had no 
nutritional knowledge <laughs> at all. I would sit around like all day long and eat spicy nacho Doritos and drink Pepsis and just watch yes. Monty Python because I love that. I love the randomness of it. Like yeah. it, it's it's like jazz at that point. There were times where I would I would do that. I would make like nachos in the microwave. <laughs> <laughs> and drink, but cheese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And drink terrible, like sugary drinks, and sit and just watch like old SNLs or oh, like Three dude. Amigos. Come on. Or they were like on because Comedy Central just used to be like an aggregator. They didn't make any original content. Right. They just played old stuff. Yep. So I, I remember doing that. I remember sitting and watching like Airplane. Oh come like, on! Don't get me started. And being like, this is the greatest. Absolutely. I don't think even in my life I might have blown it up a little bit in my memory but like i don't think i'll ever be that happy again i i, I mean <laughs> that was the most happy I've dude ever been. I, I mean i remember i remember like the the angle of the room in which i was sitting the first time i saw airplane i don't think i had laughed that hard no. in my life no. at that point i couldn't believe that this existed Ex- ab- absolutely absolutely yeah. and that was like good on my dad like we didn't get to watch like a lot of stuff growing up it was a very sort of strict media household which right. is probably why i'm so nuts into everything now <laughs> but uh, thanks mom uh, she knows, but, um, and she also doesn't listen to podcasts, so she won't hear this, but, but I remember like my dad being like, like seeing the stuff I would laugh at and he'd be like, you might like this and showing me like blazing saddles or like young oh. Frankenstein or three amigos or history or, of the world. Or yes. Stuff like and just the stuff that I was just like this. And I remember airplane broke my brain. Oh, I Air, like my, and my dad just kind of sitting back and like laughing with him. Like nothing's better than like, cause the dad, my dad was like the, you know, is the giant of our household. Right. And him laughing uncontrollably, crying is still one of my favorite things. Yeah, man, if 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 my parents are laughing at something, it's it's like the grit. My mom used to like, I mean, it was like like chicken cackling, rolling on the floor, watching America's Funniest Home Videos. Oh my gosh, I still laugh at that. It's so <laughs> it's so good. Tom Bergeron, Bob Saget. I don't really oh, care. It doesn't matter. There's still something funny about a kid swinging a wiffle ball at but dude i will say bob saget's voices on the original one were amazing they were <laughs> I so forgot he good did voices. oh they were so good oh. they were so good okay we always end the podcast by the guest sharing a bad or embarrassing show story you've yeah. been on many stages in your life and various levels yeah do you have like a golden story or a couple when somebody asks you like what's the worst gig you've ever been a part of yeah um uh, okay, I can think of I can think of one immediately, which I guess you consider a gig. It was it was the church that my wife and I used to go to. I was playing drums one morning, and it was all in in ears. And the the guy who was doing, I mean, the guy who was running front of house and monitors, which I don't think you should, I I can't stand. <laughs> he had accidentally piped in one of the pastor's lapel mics into all of our ears. And he didn't realize it until basically after we were finished playing. But this this pastor was kind of like the the he probably would have been gay had he not had it not been in like a Southern Baptist right. church. Yeah, we all know all that the guy. fear. Yeah, yeah. And it was like see in this like in our ears. <laughs> For like twenty <laughs> minutes, I know it's it peaked so badly. I'll Thank you're down. welcome, everybody. I'll turn it down. Yeah, compress the, <laughs> compress the crap out of it. I know exactly. For like twenty minutes, twenty minutes, and then we got up, and the guy who was running front of house came into where we were sitting and was like, "I have never in my thirty years of doing this have I ever had anything like that happen." I mean, it was like almost like every every verse coming up was every every section of every song coming up. It was just like. 
this is going to train wreck. I actually, there was a point where I was playing drums and I could see him in the front row and I pointed my stick down and I go, stop singing. During the, he couldn't hear me. But I was like, this, he had no idea. And then later he found out and was extremely embarrassed. But it's like, hey, Broadway. Oh. Dude, thank you so much for coming Man, thank and, you. and hanging out. This thank is you. long, long overdue. Absolutely. I feel like we could just have a podcast where we just hang out once a week. Oh, man, I, it's great. Thank you for having oh. me. That does it for episode 93. If you'd like to check out uh, Dustin Ransom's music, you can do so at DustinRansom.com. Like I said, his EP Thread on Fire is available on iTunes, Amazon, anywhere else where music is sold. Uh, you can also grab it at noisetrade.com for free, uh, or if you want to purchase it, you know, go with the uh, go with the iTunes route. That's what I say. Uh, you can check out uh, Dustin on Twitter at Dustin Ransom or Facebook.com/slash Dustin Ransom Official. Uh, follow him on Instagram, folks. I'm seriously at Dustin Ransom, and go scroll back uh, a little ways and watch these videos of him doing these voices it will make your day 100 if you want to follow me on twitter at nick flora instagram at nick flora facebook.com slash infloramusic.com that's not how it goes slash just in flora music um you can follow the podcast at who writes pod on twitter and instagram as well and do it you know just do it don't don't think about it just do it follow it i'm out of my mind i've lost my mind these allergies have taken over and i've lost my mind so thank you for listening for episode 93. I'm Nick Flora. This is Who Writes This Stuff. I go to something creative. Mm-hmm.